This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Overdue, it's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. Welcome to our December bonus episode uh, that we are here recording live-ish on YouTube. It's live. It's live for the for the people watching. It's not live yeah. for the people listening later. Yeah. Um, and it is... Our uh, Patreon bonus episode. So, so we've got some patrons joining us in the chat. We've got uh, some patrons who will get to listen a little bit early. Uh, and the rest of you, if you're not one, that's totally cool. You can listen to this whenever the heck you're listening to this. Um, Andrew, each week on the show or whenever the heck we make them, one of us reads a book and tells the other one about it. What did you read? I read Lamb, colon, The Gospel According to Biff by Christopher Moore. Okay. Um, uh, the the full title on the pay on the cover page is uh, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal. All right, and so this is Jesus Christ of oh. Nazareth. Oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah, except in his in this book, he's named Joshua, which I don't. I didn't do a whole lot of research because I finished this book like an hour ago, and then I had to put my son to bed, so <laughs> <laughs> not done a lot of background research. On this one, but I don't know if Jesus's original name was Joshua or if that's just. Uh, I've heard I've heard Yeshua before. Um, he's also referred to as Isa in Islam. Okay, um, he's got a couple of different names, but uh, sure do. In the chat, joining us is the patron who recommended it, uh, Hannah, and Hannah said, um, "I read this many years ago, but I still remember this as one of the funniest books I've ever read." This story is told by Christ's best friend when they were young, the time period we usually never hear about. I am not religious, but my father almost became a priest in his youth, and we both found this story hilarious, but also containing moments of insightful wisdom. Check Mm -hmm. out the Goodreads reviews for more of an idea of what this book is about. Um, I did do that, Andrew. Okay, did you get a better idea of what the book is about? I got a better idea of what we might end up talking about. Um, okay. <laughs> so Jamie gave the book four stars and said, I will definitely pick up another Christopher Moore book when I'm in need of an intelligently silly read. As for Lamb, it is full of raunchy humor and biblical events. What more could you ask for? <laughs> raunchy humor and biblical events. <laughs> uh, Lynn gave it four stars. Like now I want like a horny Noah's Ark. <laughs> where I mean, everybody's put, on the boat. All the animals are right? two by two. That's pretty horny. Yeah, it's just a big sex boat it is basically like that's the implication it's a big animal like sex apocalypse boat Mm -hmm. because of the flood yeah and everybody would have all this like built up survivors horniness which is definitely i think that's in the dsm5 the earth is flooded and their basements are flooded um Mm -hmm. so lynn gave it four stars and said this book is funny as hell uh, Jonathan gave it one star and it's pretty long. I won't read the whole thing, but he said, I'm considering taking down this review as I'm not happy that my most liked review is a negative one. It's too easy to earn praise by casting stones. Uh, a book recommendation that I suffered through, not for charges of blasphemy, but for style. I can't stand this type of comedic writing with its obvious setups and zingers and formulaic irrelevance. Douglas Adams wannabe. This type of humor gets enough time between news items on NPR's All Things Considered. Bah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big slam on NPR. Big, big Yikes. NPR dunk there. Um, no, uh, this I'm just talking to the chat real quick. No, I will not put the crown on behind me. That was uh, Laura's crown when we did a Charlie Brown and the girl with the with the hair. And so you can't. I can't. Wear you it. can't put it on I'm not because allowed. it's not your crown. Yeah, it's not my crown. Um, so. 
What did you? Oh, we did get you to. Da- what dance did you do? I forget the name of the dance. You did that really good dance on the camera that time. I was. Um. I was. It wasn't. Is it skunking? No. You did skunk. I did. I think. Or skanking. I did it was skanking. <laughs> That's actually what it's called, isn't it? It's not skunking. Anyway, Christopher Moore is an author. Yeah, um, tell me about him. He was. An, he's an Ohio-born boy, Andrew. That's cool. 1957. He's a Buckeye. He went to OSU. Your mom would be proud. Um, his... I tell you what, <laughs> what. You don't have to have gone to OSU to be really into the Bucks. <laughs> Go Bucks. Bleed scarlet and gray, I think, are the colors. Um, <laughs> his first novel was published in 1992. He has since published like 16. I guess that's all he does. He sits around and writes novels. Uh, per his website... Like most good novelists, he has had a number of jobs. He has worked as a roofer, a grocery clerk, a hotel night auditor, an insurance broker, a waiter, a photographer. He did go to photography school and a rock and roll DJ. I'm not sure. You could just be any kind of DJ, right? Not like a roller rink DJ or a radio you know, rock and roll DJ. I think if you specify in a specific genre, it's fine to fine to to say it like that probably (laughs) i don't know from djs he has had a lot of success in kind of comedic genre fiction um a lot of his according to his website a lot of his books have been optioned but he says not quote nothing is in any danger of being made which is an interesting (laughs) point in your (laughs) career i mean i guess at least if they've been optioned he's gotten some money out of it right like that's fine i think so yeah some people have bought some rights and just nothing ever happens um so this is like one of the he does do a lot of research for some of his books um and this is one you know writing about jesus that he clearly did a lot of um yeah he, he talked there's a little afterward with him just talking about having written the book and and yeah he does have a he acknowledges up front that like there is no limit to how far down this rabbit hole you can go if you really sure, want to sure. so you know he he didn't do that but he does seem to have a pretty firm grounding in at least the um the four books of the bible that jesus is actually in which um which is that uh matthew mark Mark, luke and john luke and john right yeah um yeah so he has a couple of interviews on his website including a few with cnn and christianity today and book sense that i kind of pulled a couple like major facts from he did do some travel of Israel where he toured the historic sites. And maybe we'll talk about this, Andrew. He mentioned specifically that that gave him a sense of like the harshness of turn of the common era life, like a rugged sure. landscape, you know, maybe how radical it was that Jesus was even doing what he's doing. Um, he calls himself a Buddhist with Christian tendencies um saying that he was what does that mean i think he said that i think it's like he was baptized methodist he said he was raised first church of nfl by his dad uh and that also he maybe he would have converted to judaism but also college football was sacred in ohio so he couldn't worship on saturdays that's true i mean you gotta the heretics fly in the michigan flags (laughs) no thanks um he this book was inspired by two things a lot of people were like oh did you watch a lot of life of brian like why did you write this book and he was like well i read the master and margarita which we did like a year or two ago uh on our show and he specifically was interested in like the scenes between pontius Pilate and jesus and just having a more human uh element to this story a more grounded um, or at least in-depth version of the story that wasn't also run through like theological goals. Um, yes, the chat is talking about the birds, our NFC East birds. champion, 9-7 birds. <laughs> Go birds. <laughs> Why do you always have to bring up the 9-7 thing? Nine is a bigger number than seven. <laughs> there was a line to get into the injury tent during the game, and a man had to just go straight to the locker room. They were so broken. My beautiful birds sacrifice themselves to do the good football (laughs) oh no the parallels the parallels um so he said he says here's some just some stuff from the afterward that i highlighted 
Um, he talks a little bit, and and maybe you were going to get to this. Yeah, but yeah. We really, th- there is beyond the birth, and then the you know the the pre the actual preaching of Jesus, which is all happening in his like early thirties, leading up to his death around age thirty three. Like that's what we get from the Bible. That's the only stuff that we really have that even purports to be a primary source. I mean, there are a couple of books that are not in like the canonical New Testament that touch upon it, but that's pretty much all we've got except for like one reference to him uh, preaching uh, at around age 12. And so he says with lamb in my own goofy way, I attempted to fill that hole in history, but again, I am not trying to present history as it might really have been. I'm simply telling stories. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, Theologically, I made certain assumptions about who Jesus was, mainly that he was who the gospels say he was. Sure. He, he also talks in some of these interviews um, really wanting to zero in on moments of like humanity or like character traits that are like very minuscule in the Gospels because they're like traditionally focused on Jesus's teachings or whatever. But he talked more than once about like the scene where Judas gets mad at Mary for the amount of oil she puts on Jesus's feet because the oil was expensive. And he's like, Mm -hmm. well, that tells me something about Judas. So I'm going to like seize on that and make sure I put it in there or at least riff on it. Um, He also mentions a PBS frontline documentary called From Jesus to Christ, which is a very good name. Um, (laughs) Talking about this kind of gap in our knowledge about him. The only other thing I think that you mentioned that um, that one story in Luke, Andrew, when he was 12 years old, which I just found funny as I, I'm not very well studied in the Bible. So like I read some of these stories and I'm like, this is in the Bible where he goes, we keep, we keep jokingly talking about doing the Bible for uh, like a stop Homer time slash Hellboys style project. I don't know, man. My working title for it is Bible thumpers, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think that that's probably going to happen. No, I think there are <laughs> we'll other people see. who are w- more well equipped to do that than we are. Um, mm-hmm. He, when he goes to he goes to Jerusalem with his family when he's twelve on like a pilgrimage, and they go home, but Jesus isn't with them, and he and they don't realize that he's not with them until they get back home, which is a very Home Alone esque scenario that I really mm-hmm. enjoyed. And they come back and he's like, "What? I'm just chilling in my father's house." With all the priests <laughs> eating pizza, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned how to shave, uh, which I thought was funny. Um, I did kind of double check the like basic Jesus timeline from Encyclopedia Britannica because I thought it would be a good like neutral resource. Andrew um, Miyamoto gets really weird about the Jesus timeline. Like he doesn't want yeah, you to know. He doesn't want you to know the order that the books came out. <laughs> well, oh, is it that, or is that he thinks everybody in the Bible are actors and they're just putting on the story? <laughs> I love Miyamoto's gospel. Um, so, according to those four main books that were written like thirty to sixty years after Jesus likely died, um, he may have been born between four BCE and six or seven CE. He started preaching around 27 to 28 CE, which we use as like Pilate's, Pontius Pilate's rule as the as the marker there. Um, a line I love from the Encyclopedia Britannica summary, in his mid-30s, Jesus had a short public career lasting perhaps less than one year during which he attracted considerable attention. <laughs> he went viral. Understatement of the history ever. Yeah, um, but um, but uh, yeah, Moore just seems fascinated with the fact that this guy, like, there is a very, very short list of individual people who have had as much impact yes. on society. Correct. Like it's, it's like Jesus, like Muhammad's probably up there, um, like Julius or Augustus Caesar. I'm not as familiar with them. With uh, Chinese or Japanese history you could being make, a classics major, what is but. it like? Um, is it Attila, maybe, and then yeah, maybe some emperors from Chinese history as well. Yeah, but that's it. I mean, it's not it, but it. That's but yeah, like, so so there's this list. there's this dude who is extremely important to the development of of human history, and we know like nothing about him, and maybe. 
you know, maybe that's intentional. I don't know. <laughs> like maybe they didn't want this Messiah figure to be too human and too accessible because that, I don't know, that that takes something away from him from like a religious perspective, I guess. Like I'm just kind of spitting. No, the majority stuff. of answers uh, to the Quora question, how come we know so little about the teen Jesus, uh, most of the responses <laughs> are that, you know, by the time they sit down to write the Gospels, they are trying to make a collection of teachings. So they're not going to talk about his teen years, which were likely aimless and filled with a bunch of nonsense music. <laughs> like and, Jesus, the college years. Yeah, like, no, that doesn't help you establish your religion. So um, they just kind of skip that part because it's not mm-hmm. interesting. Um I guess, but it's just, it's still... I mean, it's fascinating, Because I think people but... people generally agree that, like, historically, Jesus was definitely a person, like, regardless of whether you believe in the Messiah, yes. Son of God thing, yeah. like, he was, a, he was a person who existed, and it's just, it's sort of interesting that there's nothing has survived, and there's a ton that doesn't survive from that time, but a lot of what didn't survive didn't survive because Christianity ate everything. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's true. Yeah. Um, well, so do you want to get into the book? I have one or two other things that we can get to as appropriate, but I want to make sure that we kind of get into the story itself. Um, knowing that like the Gospels disagreeing is kind of what has led a lot of fiction writers to like fill in the blanks, as it were, or like use them as opportunities to explore different facets of this like very well-known personhood and character, Mm -hmm. um, which seems to be what Moore was up to. So what is the book, Andrew? So the book is, I mean, it's, it's an accounting of everything about Jesus's life from the perspective of an, I believe invented best friend of his who doesn't really appear in the gospels. I don't think that Biff is in the Bible. No. Well, his name is like Levi, who is called Biff. Like okay. He has, a, he has a real name, so I don't know. And he does, like he mentions in one chapter of this book that he's reading like the modern day Bible and he does catch a mention of himself, but I don't know if that means anything or not. Okay. Like maybe that's just a goofy joke. Because this book does have like a fun Forrest Gump-esque <laughs> propensity for <laughs> inserting Jesus and Biff into... I don't know, like inventions and and customs that still continue to this day. One notable one is eating Jews eating Chinese food on Christmas. Oh, okay. I love me a Jewish Christmas. I'll tell you what. <laughs> we, we, ate. we had Jewish Christmas this year. So we had, his family yeah. came to visit and we ordered a big mess of Chinese food. We got a bunch of Chinese food great. on our Christmas too. It was just yeah. Christmas. Um, And Biff invents a pencil at one point <laughs> so he doesn't have to have an inkwell mm-hmm. around... And at one point, Biff and Jesus are studying with some monks who are teaching them the martial arts. And Jesus wants one where he's not trying to harm anybody. He's just kind of defending himself and using the other person's like weight against them. And it's called Judo. No, it's because not. he's a nope. Jew. Nope. And then, come on. <laughs> no, uh-uh. That's what the book says. No. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> That's too Those are the big 3, I think. The, what um, did that guy say on Goodreads? Um this type of humor gets enough time between news items on NPR. I'm not going to say it's like <laughs> It's not not I'm funny. I'm not going to say this book was like gut busting and there is a lot of like just casually sexist boner mm. jokes. Sure, but I don't know. It's still it's still got a fun vibe overall. Someone in the chat said that they um, met more at like a, a signing, and he was he was like very kind and and signed their book, but also like he made a bunch of jokes about emotional support animals during his talk. So it's <laughs> you know you take the good with the bad, I guess. Yeah, he he used in multiple interviews about this book. Where people are like, hey, are you like ready to, did you offend a bunch of people? Like, what, were you excited to make people mad? And he repeatedly used the phrase like, nothing mean-spirited with regards to his humor. Do you think that is mostly the case? I think that's fundamentally true. And I I, I mean, for sure, he believes that he's not saying anything. Okay, well, that's, yes. You know, he does 
do some like casual like body shaming kind of stuff like yeah a couple yeah. of like fat jokes and and that kind of thing but it's not it's not it's certainly not the centerpiece it's mostly stuff that happens in passing and this book did come out like a lot of years it was like early 2000s or something right yeah that sounds right oh i didn't have that up i apologize gee whiz craig it's, i had too many other things going on uh published in 2002 yes. so yeah like there there are just some things that we uh talk a little bit differently about now than we did 18 years ago which you know and he see he does seem like maybe the type of dude who might be receptive to that um yeah like um i've, I've got a lot of patience with anybody whose like first reaction is not to get offended and defensive and then turns to you know you're the reason that i'm <laughs> saying all this dumb stuff because you're so you're so sensitive yes you know? yes uh well so like what is the deal with biff and jesus uh so biff and jesus are both from nazareth uh biff really wants to get with jesus's mother mary <laughs> oh neat okay <laughs> <laughs> but so, okay so what what has happened is biff has been resurrected like he he died back in bible times and okay. now he's been resurrected in modern times to write a new gospel huh a gospel according to biff to just like tell people more about jesus and they don't really get into why that would be necessary. I mean, if I were going to project my own stuff on it, it would be about, I don't know, like there's, there are some things about Christianity, the religion that seem pretty far removed from the actual things that like Jesus said, I guess is what I'll say. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Like the, you could see a version of it where like, what does like an angel bring him back? I think I saw in like a blurb. Or yeah, well, he right? has, he has like an angel caretaker there. He's essentially trapped in a hotel room, and the angel just like watches TV and stuff. Okay. Uh, while Biff needs to write this gospel, and he's not supposed to like the TV is on all the time because the angel just wants to watch TV, but Biff is not supposed to hear much about you know how people talk about Jesus in modern times. He's not supposed to be able to read the bible though he does find a bible in the you know in the drawer next to the bed yep. and takes it into the bathroom and just reads it while he pretends to be doing other things in the bathroom we don't have to talk about what the other things are we'll let the audience imagine we'll let the audience imagine what kinds of things that a horny cool dude like biff could do in the bathroom <laughs> great i love that he got resurrected by an angel and is like yo i'm still horny I mean, I imagine that he was resurrected by God, right? And then oh, sure, yeah. The angel is just there to babysit. Yeah, but you know, I don't think an angel has the authority. I mean, I, I don't know what heaven's structure is, like the org <laughs> chart up there, but I don't think an angel <laughs> has the authority to just like go adding new books to the Bible. True. Yes. Maybe. I mean, maybe Jesus is up there being like, "Hey, you gotta fix my book. Get on down there." <laughs> Uh, but what we what we get is what I had assumed. so uh, Biff has the gift of tongues, which is why he can speak in modern idiom and vernacular. Oh, that's, <laughs> like that's the, the explanation. That's, yeah, that's clever. the explanation for that. Okay, even though like Jesus also says like they both, and I'm not a hundred percent on whether this is intentional as a joke or not, but they both say "geez" a lot, like as a <laughs> like as an epithet, and I'm not. Okay. I'm pretty sure, given Moore's just general humor, that it is an intentional joke. Very intentional. Because otherwise, like, what is, what's that, what's G's mean? What's oh, that short for? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I like that. Okay. It sounds like a lot of the the humor of this is kind of maybe low-level simmering humor that works. I don't know. Do the yeah, I mean, I find... And this is just yeah. in, in general with books. Like I, I find I don't like I've never cried because of a book. I don't laugh out loud usually because of a book. Like you, with a TV show or a movie or something that's supposed to be funny, sometimes I will laugh out loud despite myself. But I'm like more inclined to laugh if there are other people also laughing yeah, with sure. me, which I think is a pretty common phenomenon. But you know, reading a book is mostly a solo experience. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um. Yeah, that's just what the perspective I'm coming at it from. I've I've had books make me cry. We've talked about this in Q and A episodes, I think. Yeah, but yeah, not this I book because I didn't read it. Yeah, 
Do you know who else cries is babies? You've got one baby. and you've got me, so good luck. Yeah, my two babies. <laughs> my two good, sad boys. So what does Biff want to tell us in his gospel? Uh, Biff, we open, I think, with with them in their... So and this is this is something more acknowledges in the end of the at the, at the end of the book but around 10 th- like this is something he did strive to get sort of historically accurate around 10 um Jewish people of the time would have been sort of studying a trade under their fathers mostly and then around like 13 or 14 you would get betrothed and you would get married okay um and so we are we meet uh Joshua and Biff like right before they become 10 years old mm. and Josh, we, we see Joshua. So the deal with Jesus in this book, and I'll call him Jesus and Joshua, probably interchangeable, interchangeably while, while we're talking. Um, but he knows he's supposed to be the Messiah. Like as you might imagine, Mary is saying to him all the time. <laughs> like, she's not, <laughs> she's not keeping it a secret. Yeah. And, like Joseph is there and he seems like f- trying to be stoic about it <laughs> but they do have a lot of other kids who are like jesus's half brothers um i just imagine joseph as the dad from modern family just like trying but like there are lots of dads in that show there's oh like I, you know the one i six mean though. dads in that show the corny um, one al bundy phil phil i imagine phil as joseph just like trying to connect with his son just trying to get by always mm-hmm. coming up with schemes to build and sell houses, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, spin in the chat says Christopher Moore is fairly lowbrow and sensible chuckle territory, which I think is I like a good, that. like if you're going to have a laugh-o-meter that has sensible chuckle somewhere in the middle, like the yellow zone, then I think that's about right. Like the phrase sensible chuckle. Okay, so he's mm-hmm. going to, he meets his friend. He knows he's the Messiah. Well, yeah, like they're pals and Jesus knows he's the Messiah and he's doing kind of like low level healing and he gets like a snake to follow him around one time. There is one day where just an image of his face shows up in all the bread that everyone <laughs> makes in the town. Great. And they have to cut his hair. So he has plausible deniability about why his face is on all the bread. <laughs> sure. Uh, so we, you know, we meet them and then, the other Jim Henson's Bible baby that we meet is Mary Magdalene, who also kind of grows up with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mary Magdalene loves Jesus, but he is never going to, he's never going to be with a woman because the angel told him not to. Oh. Um, and Biff loves Mary Magdalene and she loves him in a way, but like mostly as a way to be like closer to Jesus. So there's kind of a love triangle element. Ooh, okay. Set up there. Um, what do we know about? What do we like? End up learning about Mary Magdalene in the book? What version of Mary Magdalene do we get? So uh, Moore talks about this a little bit in the in the afterward. Epilogue, yeah, but you know, there he he points out, you know, Mary Magdalene is often portrayed as a prostitute or like thought of as a prostitute. Um, he says she's always portrayed that way in movies, but it doesn't ever say that she is in the Bible. She is mentioned by name 11 times in the synoptic gospels, which refers to Matthew, Luke and Mark. Um, most references to her talk about her preparation for the burial of Jesus and then being the first witness of his resurrection. Uh, it also says that Jesus cured her of evil spirits. No horror references, period. Um do you know who's responsible we know from, for that? We know, from, we know from letters that many of the leaders of the early church were women, but in first century Israel, a woman who struck out on her own without a husband was not only considered uppity, but was very likely referred to as a harlot, as was a woman who was divorced. That could be where the myth originated. So in this book, she is, you know, she is betrothed to, to somebody else and they have a really bad marriage. Like the, the guy is sort of a low level figure in... Um, in the Jewish religious structure and acts as kind of an antagonist to, to Jesus throughout, including like being the person who is the most like loudly calling for his crucifixion at his trial. Sure. Okay. Um, um, I did find that uh, apparently there's a Pope from the sixth century who's responsible for conflating multiple Marys and a quote unnamed sinner, which is where we get, the prostitute thing from yeah, he says there there are marys without surnames all over the gospels <laughs> and some of them i suspect may refer to the magdalene <laughs> uh 
Um, but yeah, and then there's also a Gnostic gospel, the gospel of Mary, that is like half of the text is lost and is largely about her understanding him better than even the disciples and apostles did um, because he loved her more or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so read up on that, I suppose. But yeah, so so the Mary we get in this book is is consciously not the like the harlot Mary Magdalene that I think we get in a lot of other media. Yeah, and I, yeah, there yeah, have yeah. been... I think nonfiction, like scholarly books written about like the possibility of a relationship between Mm -hmm. her Mm -hmm. and Jesus, just because there's so, and as Moore points out, there's just so much room in here for people to invent stories. And so many people have. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, The the version he decides to tell is yes, she loved Jesus, but it was platonic and nothing happened between them. Cool. Okay. Okay. So she's with his horny friend instead, maybe. She does knock boots with Biff a couple of times. Once because, and this is not my favorite passage, but once because she says that she wants Jesus to like, so they're, they're going to go to another city. They're like apprenticing as stone masons under Biff's dad. And they're going to go help him build this house in this, in this other city um, for a, I believe a, a Greek patron though everybody you know all all the nations in this book are under the control of the roman empire at this at this point this mm-hmm. is um early-ish in the reign of tiberius i think is is when it would be taking place time wise i think that's what i saw but i would defer to you classics because i think i'm pretty sure augustus died in like 13 or 14 bce and if jesus uh uh oh C- ad ad yeah, I guess AD for pur- purposes of this one. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, and so if you take Jesus's birth to have been like around the year zero, then. Okay. Let me make sure I'm right, because I'm saying that really confidently. You you actually didn't say it too confidently. You said it like confidently, but and I then did you crawled into specific... a hole. Mm, that's true. No, he died August 19th, 14 AD. Okay. So. Tiberius swish. did. No, Augustus. Oh, did. Augustus you did. Idiot. Okay, you stupid idiot. Oh gosh, I did <laughs> fine in Roman history. Just but fine. Tiberius's, Thank Tiberius's you. reign was pretty long. I feel like it's it's maybe the longest or second longest of the Julio Claudians. I think second longest after Augustus. Anyway, notwithstanding, we got to do a bonus episode where you, where like I just kind of get you drunk and get you going on. You want to do? I could do drunk history about about the segue from the Republic into the Empire. That'd be fun. Hmm. Okay. Just anyway, about it. Just tell me about more. It. I still don't feel like I know much about Biff and <laughs> Kat, Joshua. Cat says that Jesus ghosted Mary. <laughs> he definitely did. Literally, he he, he, he holy ghosted <laughs> her, which is a little different. <laughs> Anywho, tell me more about these uh, these friends. Um. So we get we get a little bit of their childhood and and their like early adulthood and then at a certain point Jesus like God God doesn't talk to Jesus a lot and this is this is part of when the book's not trying to be like haha they invented judo and they called it this pun name <laughs> it's it's trying to humanize Jesus like he was a guy who would punch his best friend in the face when he really needed it, when he really deserved it. Oh, sure. Um, but he also was a guy who like knew he was the Messiah and that he had all of this, you know, the the fate of, of so many people like on his shoulders. And he just felt very alone in that. And like God didn't talk to him very much. In fact, there is a scene later in the book where um, John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. And while Jesus is underwater, God, who's apparently sounds like James Earl Jones, which makes, which makes sense. God says from the heavens, like, this is my son who I'm pleased with. And Jesus comes back up and everybody is like staring slack jawed into the sky. And Jesus is like, Oh no, what happened? So Jesus, like God is a very withholding father figure in this in this book. Yeah, that would mess you up to know that God was your dad and he never called and he needed you to break out on your own and mm-hmm. eventually some bad stuff was going to happen to you <laughs> that maybe God could have stopped if he didn't have bigger plans for you. So mm-hmm. yeah, that would stink. But uh, the bulk of the book, like probably the middle if you're splitting it up into quarters, probably like the middle two quarters are 
this journey that um Jesus and Biff take. Like they're they're adults by the standards of their age. So it's from their like mid to late teenagerhood into their like mid to late twenties. They're going around and looking for the three wise men who are of course named after the uh the three wise men in Chrono Trigger. Yes. Uh Balthazar, Melchior, mm-hmm. and Gaspar. Gaspar, yeah. Yes, those are. That's so not, definitely. Is it Gaspar or Jasper? It is spelled with a G. It's. A, I don't know. The Ask the guy who invented the again. GIF. Is it Jasper <laughs> or Gasper? <laughs> but yeah, they were definitely um, named after the guys in Chrono Trigger. That's true. Right. Because God could God create a Super Nintendo game so early that even he couldn't play it because the console wasn't out yet. <laughs> I don't think we get those names from the Bible. We get them from some, you know, secondary tertiary source, like many, many, many years later. But uh, point being, he goes and studies under these three wise men. Um, This is mostly a journey into uh, Eastern countries. So we're talking about mostly like China and India. Mm. And all of these guys, they're sort of they're, they're teaching him about Eastern customs and Eastern religions. And I think that is where. Like uh, in Moore's telling, that's where a lot of the like contemplative PC stuff in Christianity comes from. Because like Jesus realizing that he's going to need to go beyond like God's chosen people is a sort of process in this book. And so part of the part of what he comes to realize, like studying under all these people, is that everybody should be allowed into the kingdom of heaven. Like. Oh, Jews should sure. Be allowed like Romans should be allowed. Everybody should be allowed. And as as you might imagine, like the Jewish people are not like super psyched about <laughs> Romans being allowed in. Like yeah. that's the biggest that's the biggest sticking point. Okay. But just his his concept of saying you know this this is something that anybody can get is learned really Eastern religion flavored and it, and it, and it's not quite um it's not it doesn't go as far as some of them like I I think there is um. Man, and it's been a long time since my intro to religion class, but there are some religions that are just like, there is no right religion. It's just important that you have one of them. And sure. They, and like anyone that you decide to have and, and observe is going to get you there. Sure, 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 sure. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a half step between there are chosen people who can only get into heaven and nobody else and... Anybody can get in no matter what they do, as long as they're being, as long as they're trying to be like, quote unquote, good people who observe, you know. Tim in the chat says, you get a heaven and you get a heaven. Everyone gets a heaven, <laughs> which is really just the culmination of the secret. Um, Saint Oprah. <laughs> is there anything in the afterward, Andrew, that checks where some of the inspiration for this, like, part of the book came from? Does more address that at all? Uh, he just says, my sending Joshua and Biff to the East was motivated purely by story, not by basis in gospel or historical evidence. And he talks about how, you know, some of the things in the book would have been temporally possible, but um, like the teachings of Buddha would not have reached into China until several hundred years after Jesus was a person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I I did find that there was um, a guy named Nicholas Notovich. Who was born? I think in eighteen in the eighteen fifties. He died sometime after nineteen sixteen, and according to Wikipedia, he was quote a Crimean Jewish adventurer who claimed to be a Russian aristocrat. Citation needed. Spy and journalist. And in eighteen ninety four, he published a book called "The Unknown Life of Jesus Christ" that he claimed was read to him from a Tibetan manuscript while he was he had a broken leg in a monastery in India um and it outlines a 13-year-old Jesus going to India and learning about Buddhism and Jainism and then very quickly a number of people were like yo you made all this up didn't you and he claims that he didn't one european guy wrote a letter to the monastery and the lama was like i've never met this man <laughs> Um, and then apparently 20 years later, there was another guy, Swami Abedananda, excuse me, um, who Mm -hmm. claims to have discovered the same manuscript, but people think this was largely a hoax. So I was interested to find that this 
like idea that he had gone east during these unknown years was not purely of Moore's invention, though it sounds like he's not like lifting from this guy's text or anything. It's just a th- an idea that's floating out there. Yeah, I mean, you you with so much space in between the birth of Jesus and and what we get of him in the Bible, like there is there is room for pretty much anything to happen. And so he spends several years, um in these in these countries and his the most formative like there there are a lot of very formative experiences that that he goes through on this trip but the one i think that convinces him that there can be like no more sacrifices the one that convinces him to sacrifice himself for the like in the place of all mankind is they uh, are in india and they meet people who are in the untouchable class. Oh, sure. The, yeah. It's not even a caste. It's like below the caste system. Yep. Um, but they, you know, th- there are some kid, like untouchable kids who are sent in for sacrifice that Biff and Joshua save, but it is kind of a bloodbath. And Joshua's like, this, this is not, we can't, this can't be how it is. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd I'd seen that discussion of like one interview was like this is you know you paint a like unflattering portrait of like some non Christian religions and he's like yeah I mean I'm interested in the idea that Jesus looked at practices of many religions and said we don't need to do this like we don't need to do these sacrifices like I'll just do it when he is there there the one particular. Um, tradition from Judaism that he specifically decides he's going to flout is um, the one about eating pigs, pork, bacon, whatever you want to... Whatever you want to call it. Call it. He's just like, I don't think God cares that much about the bacon thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And there are, you know, there, there are a lot of theories about how some of those dietary restrictions may have just been rooted in necessity or well just like the hygiene of the time like there were probably like some kinds of meats that just like made you super sick because you needed to know how to prepare them and no one knew how to do anything and so that's like that's where those roots come from but yeah he jesus says you know bacon is bacon is pretty good and i don't think i mean my dad and i don't talk that much but i feel like he wouldn't be that bothered about it oh my god (laughs) so can you talk a little bit, you know, we start to think about winding this down. I want to get a sense of, like, what does doing this as a like as Biff's gospel or as, like, not just from Moore's version of Jesus's perspective do for the book? Like, what is, why is it important that this is the gospel according to Biff, Christ's childhood friend, and not just Christopher Moore's Jesus Times? I mean that that's what makes it primarily a, a comedy book. Okay. Instead. Like if, if you were if you were like first person Jesus. I love playing first person Jesus games. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you have to convert all the heathens. Well, your- you know, you unlock God mode and you just play as Jesus. Well, okay. You stupid idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um Yeah, that's that that's what allows um, more to make Jesus sort of a like different from the rest of humanity is giving all the like base stuff, like all the funny boning and sex stuff to Biff. Oh, sure. And having and having Jesus be really curious about it, but mostly because he's never going to experience it himself, and he just wants to like understand. So it. is that like they sit around sometimes, and he's just like Biff, why are you the way you are? There is. There are there is a scene where they're in like a brothel and Biff is just like banging his way through everybody who's the, who's available. Man, okay. And Joshua's like listening through the wall. <laughs> so make of that what you will, I guess. Like if Jesus is a big horn dog. <laughs> Maybe. A lot of fiction depicting jesus explores the sensual jesus like i don't know if you ever that, seen i'm gonna need you to elaborate on that okay so that i don't know if now. you've ever seen talk, tell me about the my own sensual jesus i don't know if you've ever seen the last temptation of christ starring willem dafoe as a very sensual jesus 
Um, but that's a thing. It's based on a book by Nikos Kazantzakis from the 1960s. Um, I think there's some other books. You know, we mentioned, I don't know if he's essential Jesus, but we did in, an, in our Philip Pullman series talk about uh, the good man Jesus and the scoundrel Christ, where he like separated the ideas of like the a good guy who's got morals and like a guy who's like out to be influential and like change the world, but maybe isn't doing it just because he thinks he's the son of God. Um, and I, I just think that there's like a lot of, there's been a tradition of fiction, especially in the last like 50 years or so of like trying to explore what it would have been like if he was a real dude who needed to like eat, cheeseburgers and have sex sometimes I don't think they had cheeseburgers <laughs> you know what i mean uh, though hannah hannah points out in the chat um you know the, the whole impetus between him wanting to know about sex is because he wanted to understand sin though i would point out that whenever biff sort of presses him on this he's like well do you want me to murder people so you can understand murder and jesus is like well let's not get let's not go to let's not do anything we can't take back <laughs> He does seem uniquely interested in sex as a sin, as opposed to the and that's other where sins. I'll, yeah, but that's where I'll that's where I'll leave it. Okay, okay. Um, uh, Heathery Snicket says, 13 year old Catholic school girl me did once say, "I wonder if Jesus was hot." Yeah, well, probably. It is. I was glad that. I mean, he doesn't go out of his way to do anything about it but i was glad that you don't this is not white oh yeah like it's not painting hanging in your a baptist church jesus yeah this is like a brown jesus that's, like he would have been yes that's good um how yeah. does it get how does it kind of wind into the crucifixion stuff like does it get that far is biff there for that stuff yeah so the the last uh like quarter or fifth of the book gets to the like the biblical christ that we know about like the the Sermon on the Mount and the the loaves and fishes and uh, raising like Lazarus from the dead and uh, walking on water and you know the, all the hits. So so more does play the hits. Is like Biff's role. He does in, play the hits. Is yeah. Biff's role in those scene to go, yo, look at this guy. Hey, he's just he's kind of following Joshua around, my man, and you know being very proprietary about him. But, sure. Um, but yeah, the first like three quarters of the book is uh, is Jesus playing stuff from his new album, and then finally in the back part of it, you get to the you get to the stuff that you came here to see, you know? Sure, sure. Do we meet? Like- <laughs> actually, the the stuff like once you get to the the stuff that is actually sourced from somewhere, I I was a little bit less interested in the book. I think there's a reason why it happens at the end and it doesn't take up a ton of space. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, do we like hang out with the apostles at all? Like, do we get like yeah, Biff? Yeah, we meet why them is, all. They mostly seem like one of them. He is that is, explained? Yeah, there's a uh, there's a scene where they go from being disciples to being apostles. Apostles being folks who can actually do some of the healing and and uh, evangelizing and and stuff that Jesus himself does. And Biff doesn't, you know, he, Jesus asks for volunteers and Biff being the rapscallion that he is says, I'm happy to be a disciple. Thanks. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we do meet them and they mostly seem, they mostly seem like duds. <laughs> okay. Is, and, and he, you know, says earlier in the book, the bits, we get chapters and beginnings of chapters that are biff and this angel like in this hotel while biff is writing this book and then scenes of them like roaming new york and getting pizza and doing laundry and stuff because the angel's trying to acclimate like biff to modern life Hmm. um but yeah in this in this last like third or quarter of the book that mostly fades away okay in favor of just kind of talking about the the miracles and things as as they happened, and and so something that Biff notes is like the Jesus who I'd see in these like modern gospels in this very flowery English translation that apparently everybody loves. <laughs> um, they don't really bear a lot of similarity to the people I knew who were kind of 
they met well and they believed and that was the most important thing but they were not the sharpest tools in the in the shed hmm okay um so it mostly seems like biff he's not a stand-in for more directly and i've seen more address that in interviews but he does fit an archetype that more uses in some of his other novels apparently as like kind of just a every man he seems like a Joe Sixpack character. I mean, he does while Joshua is, is training and th- they are both training alongside each other with, with the three wise men and learning different things. Like mostly Joshua is learning to how to deal with like his own individuality and how to think about what people need and like what to do with people. And Biff is learning about how to bang everybody and (laughs) also like be really good at knives and like fighting and stuff it's like he's training for a different religion like i'm not sure what or i guess just the fighting version of christianity which does happen later where it would be useful to be good with knives i suppose um but i guess like could you see someone reading this book and like being offended by it? I mean, if you, it is hard to say, and I'm not particularly devout mm. myself, um, which is all I'd really want to talk about on a public podcast feed. Um, I think to even seek this out in the first place, you would have to have a sense of humor about it and, and understand that you are reading something that is intentionally like sort of fanciful and fictional and irreverent. Sure. If you are going into it, like looking to be offended by it as a lot of people do when they're criticizing stuff in bad faith, like, yes, of course you're going to find stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I just don't know that. I don't know that any reasonable reader would walk away from this book with that impression. I don't know. No, that, that I mean, seems. Look, I mean, but look, but look at the banned books list, and yeah, like, of people course. are gonna people are gonna push back against what they're gonna. Push I most back yeah. I, I just wanted to get your take from inside the book because Lamb seems to completely agree. Like he was asked multiple times, "Did you catch any flack from the Christian right?" And he was like, "I think everyone was expecting it." But it turns out the opposite is true. I get scores of letters from Christians who love Lamb and who say it has strengthened their faith. Uh, Lamb is being taught in a number of seminaries of different denominations, so I guess I must have resonated with the right people. And people who would have condemned it seem to have had good enough judgment not to read it. Um, (laughs) Babs in the chat says, uh, I don't think someone with enough fervor to be actively offended wouldn't wouldn't pick it up uh the title itself is sort of a giveaway about the flavor of content that's true and brent says i'm sure the people who would be offended about it probably would take offense before they even made it past the title which i don't think is uh i don't i both of those takes i deem them correct yeah i found a a fun review on workingpreacher.org uh by a lutheran pastor in minnesota who said Moore's astonishing creativity applies even to areas which are difficult and distasteful, not just to the clever or off-colored. And for adult readers who are not afraid to rethink Jesus as a person, or for those whose only uh, religious imagination has been molded by adult piety, I recommend this book highly. And then like goes on to say, like, yeah, maybe if you don't like crass humor or like dudes who go into bathrooms for long periods of times for undisclosed reasons like maybe if that's the stumbling block for you you can't be helped um Mm -hmm. and i think to to moore's credit like even you could pick any name for this dude but even calling him biff and then printing the name biff on the (laughs) cover of a book sets it does a lot of heavy lifting to like set a tone it's really it's a kind of concise amazing. and effective in that because his yeah. origin story for that is that he just knew when he was growing up he knew a jewish boy named biff so when he like pictured this character that's the name he pulled mm-hmm. but like that name has gone on in my in my memory because of biff from death of a salesman which is kind of like a floating mess of a man 
Um, <laughs> and then today I fell down a whole rabbit hole of the character Biff from Sesame Street who owns, who's a construction... Biff from Sesame Street? Yeah, there's this guy Biff and his fellow construction worker Sully. Uh, Sully doesn't talk and Biff is like, thinks he's smarter than Sully, but he's not. And he talks, he's like, hey, Sully, you got to help me move this here piano. Uh, I used to know how to do the scales, you know, do, re, mi, fatso, la, di, do. And then, like, he plays the scales wrong and walks away, and then Sully plays the piano beautifully. I watched 10 of those videos this morning. They're very good. Boy, that's a lot of videos. Everybody in the chat's also pointing out Biff Tannen from Back to Well, yes, that's, oh, yeah. God, duh. Okay. Duh. I don't know the why that's history's not. History's most famous Biff. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I just didn't see those movies enough as a kid that they're not like readily in the forefront of my brain, even though I know about them. You should uh, go back to them. <sighs> okay. Anything else you want to say about this book, Andrew? Uh, at the end, it is revealed. <laughs> this is the big spoiler. <laughs> And it's sort of, like I said, the hotel, like modern day stuff kind of fades when you're talking about um, like Jesus's actual miracles and the crucifixion and everything. Um, there's this whole, you know, there's this whole section where Biff is trying to, it looks like the revival part of the crucifixion might happen because of Biff, because he's got like this sort of poison that fully paralyzes you and he's planning on trying to get some of it to Jesus and then waking him up. But oh. that doesn't happen. Like Joshua gets fully stabbed in the side by a Roman soldier and killed. Um, and Biff's life ends. Like he kills Judas. Biff kills Judas. Like that's his biggest, huh? Like actual Forrest Gump moment, I guess, is he is responsible for Judas who, um, if I recall correctly in the actual Bible, just sort of fades out. Like he sort of runs away and you don't hear what happens to him. I am most familiar with the Jesus Christ superstar version where he takes his own <laughs> life, where he like sure. in, in, you and know. that's another like commonly cited yeah. religious text. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> You're right. That's true. Um, Okay. Google tells me, Brent says, Google tells me that Biff is just a nickname that comes from the verb meaning punch, hit, strike. And I can see in like 60s Batman font the word Biff oh. being used like on a monopit poetically. Punch, hit, strike sounds like a great Street Fighter combo to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so... Uh, Nell says that he hangs himself, which I think that is... I think that actually is right. But in this book... It's because like Biff kills him by hanging him. Great. Okay. With, with like part of his clothes or something. It's not a it's not a suicide, it's a murder. And then Biff dies from some unspecified something shortly after. Um and at the end of the book is revealed that Mary Magdalene was also brought back to life and has also been tasked with creating a new gospel. Huh. And they are gonna go off and they're gonna live their modern lives together. Like the it's end very, of Battlestar. It's very Battlestar Galactica, in fact. Whoa. Yeah. Huh. Okay. That's a change. I didn't expect that. Yeah. So it's like a little, it's a little button. I think it's mostly inconsequential. Like honestly, the, the hotel parts of the book, you could take out and not really lose a whole lot. And unless you were really, really like you're reading this book and you're like, man, this is fun and everything, but I really need like a frame narrative that establishes why we're yeah. hearing from this guy at all. Sure. <laughs> it seems like it's probably a table setting for the tone more than anything else. Like not a plot table setting as much as it's like it's a way in for the irreverence to feel justified. Like you said, even that thing about like the fact that because he has the gift of tongues, he can speak with anachronism. Like mm -hmm. that's just a jokey, almost Douglas Adamsy way to justify the the entire style of the rest of the novel. Yeah, if you're if you're in the Douglas and the, what was that other book that I read recently that was kind of it was the air affair if you are yes. in the like Jasper Ford Douglas Adams uh Neil Gaiman Terry Pratchett sort of universe like that if there's a quadrant that represents all books if you're in that <laughs> quadrant for this you're in the right place sure okay cool um well that's the book then right sure is 
thanks for telling me about it. Thanks to our chat for hanging out and chatting with us along the way. Um, if you were not in the chat and you want to send us an email, you can hit us up at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at overduepod. Uh, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Overduepodcast.com. That's a website. That's the one. HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash overduepodcast.com. Sorry. We are HTTPS. It's very secure. (laughs) Uh, You can securely (laughs) click on links for Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our RSS feed. And uh, our Patreon page, that's patreon.com slash overdue pod. But you guys already know about that because you're already giving us money. Thank you. Yeah. Um, And if you haven't already, check out our social feeds for our upcoming schedule. If you, uh, the beginning of January, we'll start with The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli. Spin says, give Mary Magdalene a a Snapchat. And I think that Mary Magdalene would be more of a Viesco girl. How do you pronounce that? What is that? You don't use jeez. Read a book. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's it's a it's the name of an app that takes photos and it's sort of parallel to like Snapchat and Instagram and stuff. Okay, so it's not like Cam just Girls. Please Google, yeah, Google it after we're done. Okay, like all the good things, and, I Google them after we're done. <laughs> educate yourself. Happy New jeez. Year, everybody! Gee whiz. I didn't know what Visco is. Visco. Well, okay, everybody, thanks for coming. Happy New Year. It's been a good one. And we'll see you next decade. <laughs> Until then, try to be happy. Bye. That was a headgum podcast.